Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham and I'm very happy to have Sri Ram Subramanian, <laughs> a little stumble, but uh, welcome. How are you doing today? Thanks a lot, Phil. I'm so happy to be here, um, and hopefully, I can be of uh, some help to your audience. Absolutely. So, where are you calling from today? I'm in a city uh, called Pune in India. It's about 100 miles from Mumbai. So. A, 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 a very bustling technology place, right? It is. Uh, so it's emerged as uh, somewhat like a second Bangalore uh, in India. And uh, the, it's viewed as a desirable place for startup folks and engineers to be. So we've uh, had some success building out our team here in addition to our uh, North America operations. Nice. So... I appreciate you coming on the show and we're going to talk about Shopping Pal today. And I, I want to first give a thumbnail of what Shopping Pal is and how did you come up with the idea? Sure, Phil. So I'll, I'll take a simple view of uh, how we help a small business such as a restaurant, retailer or a salon spa. These are our typical end users. So if you look at a restaurant today, they have their internal operations that are powered by different applications, a point of sale system, accounting, they run payroll with a few apps, et cetera. So there's an internal set of the operations. And a lot of the revenue today for the restaurants is coming from new business models, such as Coast Kitchens. They have to be able to work with the likes of the DoorDash and various other food applications. So what that does is they're on average using about at least about 15 different apps to run their business. Really? 15 apps? Yes. So, that, so that's, uh, and it's uh, often people don't realize that, uh, but I think gone are the days where these folks were on pen and paper. Um, so everything from the little, you know, running small campaigns to, like I said, POS payments, you, you have uh, a system or app for each of these things. And they are best of breed systems. So there is no uh, you know, there isn't an Oracle or a SAP kind of thing in the SMB space, as most people know. So what that creates is this mishmash of different apps that don't talk to each other in most cases. And that's a nightmare for the business owner because they're already dealing, they're short-staffed and uh, they're trying to just make this thing work. And, and if you see what's happened in the past one and a half years, there's like even further shortage of labor and time um, as well as cash. So what's really needed for them to run their operations better is a lot of automation to be able to say that if there's an order that comes uh, from an app that I'm using or a third-party system like a DoorDash, and that needs to be processed at a third-party kitchen, then something needs to take care of that automated order relay back and forth. And I shouldn't have, my staff shouldn't have to do anything uh, in terms of manual intervention to support that. So that's what our technology does. We are an integration platform. The way that we operate is we work directly with the app creators of these POSs, payment systems, the ghost kitchens, et cetera. We plug into those solutions and 
and that's how we sell to the business owners. So these uh, app creators are both our customers and our channels. They take them the integrations to hundreds or thousands of different customers on the other side. And that's how we have been able to grow quickly. Uh, so in the last 15 months, we've added about 5,500 uh, unique locations across a few verticals, primarily restaurants and retail being the, the biggest focus there for us. Very nice. Uh, good, uh, good, impressive growth. When did you start the business? So in the origins of Shop and Pal, uh, date back to 2016 when, um, you know, I was dabbling with a couple of guys in retail applications. So there was this idea that we had uh, that the shopping experience is broken. Um, and the funny thing is like, we were thinking about contactless in-store experiences well before the pandemic, right? So, so the, <laughs> the timing was slightly off. Yeah. Uh, but, but back, uh, the idea was that we were envisioning a world in which the uh, there would be all the apps that a, a retailer or in, you know any kind of small business needs um, that can be built in a matter of two to three weeks, right? Because even today, if you see the the access to different applications and technology is extremely hard for small businesses. Um, so yeah, the, they're not they're not programmers. They don't they don't sit in front of spreadsheets. Well, they they might sit in front of a, a, an accounting spreadsheet, but they're they're not trained in all these tools. Correct. And and even if they were to hire a programmer and pay thousands of dollars, they don't know how to get the best output and yeah. then maintain that particular setup. So our vision was to say, how do we apply the open source model to create a lot of uh, useful, scalable, affordable technology? Um, for the SMBs. And let's start out with a few different applications. So we, you know, we, we said, like, just for fun, let's create an Amazon Go like, so we, we launched this before Amazon Go, an in-store uh, shopping experience and deployed it in like Soho in New York and a few other places. And in that process, uh, you know, as we were doing that for a few months uh, and having fun with it, we started, we had to build backend integrations to these POS systems, because let's say you're checking out and, and you're you're looking at a product and you want to pay for it, that particular uh, payment needs to be pushed into the store's backend right. system. Right. A POS and payment setup needs to make it to the accounting system as well. That's where we got exposed to integrations and the pain of that ourselves to say, wow, that's crazy. Like to be able to, to do that in real time, to, to make sure that when Phil's trying to make that purchase in the store, um, that this, uh, by the time he walks to the counter, that, the, you know, the, in the Apple store, I think people are yeah. familiar with this idea. So we were trying to recreate the Apple store experience for a lot of other people. And we realized the complexities of trying to do that both on the consumer side and then the backend integrations. But in the process, we realized that that is not just us. Any and everyone that is trying to create, create uh, and grow an app today, a B2B application, needs to do these integrations. And if we are facing so much trouble, yeah. there's got to be, you know, this has got to be a much bigger problem. So, so, so if I re, sort of recap for the audience, you, you started servicing customers and in trying to service them, you found this bigger problem of right. integration and you said, I got to do something about it. So 
that was when you founded 2016, but and then how long did it take you to figure out then, you know, help me understand this journey from the product market fit as you kind of went through this, hey, I got this big problem with integration to where you're at today and having this massive growth in the last, uh, you know, 15 months. So yeah, so in, when we were, and, and so ShopMail as a product had, uh, you know, we launched at end of 2019, early 2020. So in, we continued building out different retail applications from that 2016 period uh, to all the way through end of 2019, where we were continuing to focus on the app side of the business while we continued the discovery on more, we started getting integration requests from mm -hmm. the US companies and e-com players and so on. And that in that journey, as we started building point-to-point -point integrations and we did a few of them, the team said like we were starting to get a couple more engineers on the team and we looked at the problem and said, why are we building point-to-point -point integrations? Now it's pretty clear that there's these, let's say 400 POS systems. This is actually a crazy number out there. And there's, let's say all these food apps and retail guys and payroll that want to connect to these systems. So there's got to be unique, mathematically when you look at it, when you're trying to connect a number of dots, you could do, if you want to connect a single dot to each of those other yeah. points in the system, it's much more efficient if there's a central broker that, yep. you know, takes all Oh, yeah, yeah, Matthew. Yeah, it is, uh, it's the hub and spoke. You can, you can, right. I, I, right. I, yeah, uh, yes, the mathematics gets uh, very uh, exponentially yeah. very big. With 400 systems, uh, you're, you're well over thousands and thousands of connections there. Connections. So, so we, we, when we looked at, uh, so by the 2019 period, when we were going through this process of saying, well, it clearly doesn't make sense to do this one on one by one. And by then there were companies like uh, Zapier and Plaid that had proven the model that businesses would come, they would want uh, both app creators as well as businesses would be interested and willing to pay for this model where there is an integration platform that actually simplifies this problem. So then we set out uh, in late 2019, we, we actually found a customer in the payment space who wanted to deploy in accounting integrations. And so we took that as a, a major pilot uh, and, and created uh, uh, an entire product, which can not only be um, working as an integration and a connector, but we also address the problem that people, businesses really cared about not sending their data elsewhere, right? So th this was a time in the last two years where all the, the major debacles happened with, in terms of data leaks and so on. So there, a lot of the business owners were getting worried about, you know, I'm using 15 apps. <laughs> my data is just like flying around the world. I don't even know which, which servers and which region, regions it's sitting in. So we also saw that problem and, and a couple of us come from, from the security background. So we looked at that and said, well, what if we ensured that we as a provider give the assurance that we would not store a businesses or an app provider's data that and even if we are hosting it, right? And of course, we also give the option that they could run this in their infrastructure. Sure. They could create an experience that is the same as their uh, core feature of their product. Yep. So we looked at this holistically to say, if we created such a value proposition, we could go sell the solution to the app providers, including the ones that have the tightest 
security and compliance requirements. So that was uh, from from the late, uh, in the, basically in the last 20, 22 months, we went through that journey and launched Shabnapal as a iPass. Got it. So, so as you were building out apps for different stores, one at a time, you then realized there was this integration problem because of 400 apps. Uh, the, the perfect storm, of course, the internet is getting lots of uh, worry over security. And so there was a, a, a desire to sort of make it easier and more secure. And you tapped, you've started building the shopping pal and, and fleshed it out in real. But how did you really crack the nut of the vendors themselves? Because they're always... Um, uh, you know, my experience uh, pre is everybody says, "Oh, I've got my own developers. I can do it myself." So, what what was what was that nut that cracked them open? I think there were a couple of factors that uh, started to drive that uh, transition. One is uh, this whole explosion of apps. A lot of these vendors that initially two years ago said, "Oh, we have great engineers." integrations is core IP, I want to keep this in-house, started realizing that they're not able to keep up. They can do 10, 15 integrations, and then they have to keep maintaining them. Right. What about the remaining 300 that their customers are asking for? And what that started to do is they, they were not able to close enough deals. Even if they landed these customers, they would churn out because their accountant complained or something happens which says that, you know, it's it's a shiny new app, but it doesn't work with the rest of my setup. So right. that started happening, and which is where I think the value started to become clear uh, for our offering as a solution, and in the in the way that we make it so seamless that the end customer doesn't even realize uh, that this is a third party solution. Right. right? So, right. so we're like like this engine component that plugs in. Um, and in a very OEM-like fashion. And, and that was of, uh, you know, really good value to these guys. The other part is that realizing that when the sales teams at these companies and the onboarding teams see you as a great uh, way to increase their conversion rates and to be able to also drive better retention, I think there's nothing more powerful than that. And we even though the, the top decision makers initially may not be our fans and they would give us a pilot to try out. Right. What we found is that the onboarding specialists and the sales guys started becoming pretty close with us and they would become our champions over time. So there's, let's say, eight, 10 of them who would start working with us actively on Slack on almost on a daily basis. And then that would create that movement further back upstream to say, we really want to work with them and they're creating value for us. And that process may take three, six months at times, right? right. To, but but it's it's something that sticks because sure. you have champions now. Yeah, and, and, it makes, and it makes sense because you can, you know, for, for some businesses, uh, you know, engaging engineers uh, doesn't make sense, but you're, you're magnified. That it's one product that reaches to thousands, you know, hundreds or thousands of restaurants or businesses or retail stores. So it, it's, it's a cost of, you know, uh, it makes a lot of economic sense when you do that. So Correct. was it, um, you, you said two things though, was it 
that was it the chicken or the egg? Was it the the reduction in churn, like the retention of customers, or was it the new revenues that they were most interested in? It's largely new revenues because it would get in the way of them closing a deal. Like let's say that they uh, they want to go acquire a restaurant that says, "I'm running on toast," right. and if they they're not able to onboard that restaurant today, that's lost business. And that's just one example of a popular system. But then you have, like I said, 400 of these. And how do you scale your business if someone's looking to acquire 20,000 customers over six, seven countries? How do they do this without having all the right integrations in place? Yeah, your your product uh, is one of those that really reminds me of of the conversation, like who's the customer, right? The problem is the is the the retail store has all these apps that, that they they have the problem and they're actually not quite the customer uh the vendor right. the, the the application provider is the customer correct correct right? because they're did they're you anticipate the ones... that to, did you when you started did you expect it to be that way no no we did not uh we because we went we were trying to work directly with uh the end customers, the retailers, and these SMBs. And we found that it's a very long cycle to uh, work with them, to get them on board, to get them to pay, all of that. And, and you would, <laughs> and the tech side, everybody's run into this uh, uh, one or more discussions where they realize that there's a huge gap in terms of the understanding and acceptance of technology as uh, from a business owner's perspective. So we, we quickly realized that uh, in that period, right, until 2019, that this is not going to scale if we are working directly with business owners. So we had already started looking at the model of getting our hypothesis was that if we can crack this model of working with the app provider and their sales teams going and deploying this rapidly, that's a, a, a product-led growth model, which uh, then we would not have to invest in building out a sales team. So let's crack this with one POS vendor. Let's see if this can work. If it does, then we ha probably have a scalable, repeatable formula. So we did that when with one uh, POS company called Vend, which was uh, number two in the world in, in retail pass. And they, they're now part of a company called Lightspeed, uh, headquartered in Montreal. So they were acquired by Lightspeed. And so now, uh, you know, we, we have a larger footprint and set of partners in the POS space. But we were also able to replicate that model with a wide range of, you know, contactless payment, uh, online ordering, uh, ghost kitchen and other, other types of companies. Right. So, and, and, you know, we, we saw, I think we were fortunate to, uh, when in the last year when restaurants really went through this massive transformation uh, of, of having to, to switch to delivery only models and you know more than half of the business for many of the even established restaurants had to make that yeah, switch. Yeah, everybody had to change, right? So we were at the center of that action. Um, so luckily for us, we, uh, the, the technology was ready. And so, so COVID helped your business really? It it did we and in an unexpected way um, we were we, because we nobody saw the speed at which the sh the shift would come 
um, for restaurants and hotels. Like nobody thought that you would be doing uh, contactless ordering while dining in or from your rooms in hotels right, right. Um, by, by 2021, right? But now the, the pace has just accelerated so much that, uh, uh, yeah, we, we were able to, to help with that transformation. Nice. So, so you, you were able to score, you know, the second, as you said, the second biggest vendor, uh, and as your pilot, was that a tough process? Cause it, you know, we always talk about yeah. getting that early adopter, that first person to, 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 to just try something. Right. Right. It was not just tough. It was, we had to do multiple attempts to really, uh, seed ourselves as the top dog there, right? Because um, we met met with the CEO and the senior leadership, and uh, you know, initially it looked it was going great, and and we were going to actually white label a solution and embed it right inside uh, uh, part of the offering that they said we don't want to build. Uh, we're actually looking for a partner, and, and you're a great fit for this. The week before that, that was uh, going to go into staging. They got uh, bitten uh, or like stabbed, however you want to put it, by another partner that actually went behind their back, um, announced a competing offering, stole their customers, etc. So they just got caught off guard and they just paused a lot of their other partnerships. Um, and so that was almost like a near-death moment for us because we were relying on this partnership to take off. Right. And it didn't. So then we had to sort of, restart that process, uh, gain credibility with a new set of people, build out new integrations. The customers then went and appreciated our work to the sales team. So th- so after like six, eight months, we got back to this sort of the same spot where <laughs> the credibility yeah. was back and, now, and, and they were. We, we, I, we, I could talk about this uh, quite a lot, and, and but I want to get to the one of the other topics that we were talking about. And, you know, so, the, so I really appreciate you sharing the journey of how you, you had to find, you know, you weren't sure who the customer was. You figured out that the vendors, the, the application developers were the, the customer made a really good try, you know, getting somebody on board with that and proving that it would work and then duplicated that with other, other companies. So wonderful. Uh, we want to talk about a little bit about your fundraising experiences and, and, uh, because you had your original, I presume you had your original business that you were doing, still doing apps. So you had some income from that. And then you were using right. the excess income to develop out the, the, the APIs and, and interfaces and all that other stuff. Right. But now you're at a point where you're saying, hmm, I need to do something different. And so you, you join an incubator, you accelerator. What do you do? How'd you make those decisions? So yeah, the, um. Yeah, so there, there's two parts to this, right? One is you want to create enough room for experimentation and uh, surround yourselves with uh, the right set of mentors. So from a fundraise point of view, we had the clarity that we are not going to go to VCs anytime soon until we know exactly how we're going to use the money and that we are able to relay that in a very clear way to the other side who's putting in whatever that, that large sum of money would be. And we, we have also often, I think I've seen this with other founders, uh, a lot of stories where it's a very high velocity treadmill. Um, so if, if you're getting into the venture game, 
you better be ready to run that. It's not, it's not like a slow marathon, right? You're, you're in a sprint for a few years. So yeah. You, you're, so you're in a sprint be... <laughs> yeah. you're you're on a you're, you better move fast and I, I have to i have to i remind people i said uh, you, you know the vcs you, they're investing in 10 companies and they expect nine of them to kind of do oh hum you know some of them to fail some of them be oh hum and then when to make all of the returns for their entire portfolio so not only does it have to return enough money for itself but for the other you know the other 10 it invested in that aren't doing so well so you have to run really fast if you're if 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 you catch that star it's like catching a falling star you 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 better hang on correct and and the other i think uh, aspect that's not as well understood or appreciated is that when you let's say you get a vc that's putting in i don't know 2 3 5 million you're getting one or two Part, one partner and an associate who will help you or look at uh, looking out for you part-time. Instead, if you get 15 committed angels and small funds uh, working with you, you have an extended team that can actually create much more impact. And that is what we have actually seen on the ground. So we have people today, a lot of our angels and um, smaller funds, folks that have come there, they drive real deals for us. Uh, one of our investors visits conferences on our behalf in the Midwest. And all of this helps us really stay lean because we're not hiring a VP of sales or uh, anybody else to do a lot of these things. And, and honestly, right. you don't really need for a, a business. Yeah, yeah, I think you make a very good point at the, the VCs when you when you get that large investment uh, they're coming at it from a very financial viewpoint. Yes, they'll provide you, you know, strategic advice on a periodic monthly basis, but you're just one piece in their big portfolio that they have. Um, and the, 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 the smaller investors, the angels or a consortium of its private investors, they're out there. They're, it's a it's important for them. They want you to succeed and they're out there talking. So that's a very good point to bring out. I, I really like that. It's a bigger I, network. The the other part is I feel that a lot of these uh, angels that either have uh, expertise in sort of your space uh, or in an adjacency that they have seen and they really align with you, right? And you can feel yeah. that. You can feel that in the first conversation in most cases. Uh, where I've met some of our investors when they were out walking their dog and I didn't like open my computer. We just like walked and talked, but after 20 minutes they were in and, and I could see that they were truly in. Um, it didn't matter uh, whether they saw the demo or, and so on. It was just that in, on principle, you aligned on so many things and there was this idea of a shared vision and commitment. And that's really important. And you have to have the willingness to walk away from people that where you don't see that happening, right? Regardless of capital right. um, or, uh, so we, we have taken that position and, and we have made some tough calls and saying this person, I mean, investor is okay, but not a great fit. Yeah. How did you, did you, did you have an advisor that told you to match up the, that it had to feel right on the, the, the connection had to feel right. Or how did you know to walk away from those kinds of people? 
it's partly an acquired skill. You have to, I think as uh, founders have to build that um, over time by, by just, I mean, just like you learn anything else, right? Where right. you say, okay, here's three people that I'm onboarding uh, based on the, the quantitative and, and like more concrete points and partly based on my gut that these guys are going to be great. Now, what was the outcome from that? Sure. Six months down the road. What was I right? Two out of those three counts. And what made those two really great? Yeah. I, I think there's a I think that's really important for for founders to understand is that you do have to you do have to recognize you're going to be stuck with that person as an investor for quite some time. And so you you should treat it more than just a casual date. Uh, you're going to be living with them. You know, even if you're hiring employees, right? You you can hire fast and fire quickly too, um, if you, they don't work out. But you can't do that with an investor. You you can't get rid of them. <laughs> You're stuck. Correct. And and I think you can get a sense of like recently I was talking to an investor who was um, who was okay. He had done well as an entrepreneur uh, himself, and he was talking about like he has 55 companies in his portfolio and and he can add value in xyz ways um, and then he was coming hard on negotiating the terms right so that's all he cared about like he was really set on are you going to give me a valuation discount or uh, is it going to be advisory shares like and if you reduce the other on one side i need a better deal on the other side kind of thing right and i was so I was trying to figure out like, how will we work together? What, where do you see yourself in this picture? What are you excited about? But I could see that his focus was on getting a big deal. That was, <laughs> so, so it's like uh, the Shark Tank, Mr. Money, right? <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, of course those are, um, but, but you know, it, it's, it's always difficult to walk away from money. I, I think it's, when you have this check, like, you know, that could, money could be wired today. And you have to say no, uh, even if you have some cash in the bank, I think it's for founders, it's difficult, but it's very important to do that. Uh, like you correctly said, that's a very long-term relationship. And if you have a, a dead duck on your cap table, that's not good for anyone. So it's, uh, yeah, so I, I think you gotta be ruthless. You, and you have as a, it's a fiduciary responsibility that, that all founders have to bring in the best kind of people and it has a snowball effect and also to be cognizant of what do you need today to really take the business to the next set of milestones right because uh, there's a particular kind of person investor who can create tremendous value maybe a year and a half two years down the road but not today right so just having knowing your gaps as a founder yeah. as a company and getting the people aligned would, uh, is, is a great exercise. And also believing in uh, other people, like we, we onboarded uh, someone, an investor who, who was from a completely different, like uh, oil exploration, right? That, that was his thing. Right. And, and it was a huge leap of faith because this person was very motivated to, to learn what we are doing and was quite confident that I'd be able to pick this up in a, a month or two and become a very key contributor right. on the sales and BD side. And it actually happened, right? Now that it has to be mostly based on gut. You cannot in any way anticipate or quantify that 
because there's no yeah, that's, way that uh, logically you could predict that would happen. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> so, very, very, so, very nice. You're able to do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, just sort of recap a little bit. Um, uh, where, where you've got your, where are you at on your, you've had some investors right now. They're all seed investors. Uh, oh. You joined Expert Dojo for Accelerator. Um, and you're, you're preparing for your round A, is that where you're, where you're at or? So we are, our goal is to really create a very sustainable high growth model, which is a product led growth model and organically that could lead to an A, but our goal is not A, right? So what we're trying to say is that because we, we actually broke even a few months ago, we decided to invest more and said that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was unexpected, <laughs> but it was very helpful for us to see that we're doing something real. And in the midst of all the craziness that uh, was going on, we were you know, fortunate to be in that, that position, but it also told us that if we can do this for a few thousand businesses, then, then it, it's also in some sense our responsibility to magnify this and, and take the technology to everybody that it could help. So that's where we made the call in the last few months to start raising some capital, investing more in, in the tech um, and getting the word out. And also now we're in a position where we don't, we're pretty cash efficient. We don't need a whole lot uh, in terms of a, even a VC round in the near future. But I believe that our, we will continue the growth and sometime next year we will be in having the right kind of metrics to be able to do uh, venture raise if you want, if you wanted to do it at that point. Yeah. Very but nice. But it shouldn't be a, a forced exercise, right? It's, uh, it yeah. needs to make sense. It needs to make sense, yeah. So I want to, want to uh, get uh, one last question here. No, it shouldn't be too hard, um, but I, I might stump you. And I like to ask, as you've you started your journey, uh, and you're still on your journey. If you were to go back to your younger self and you wish there was something you would have known sooner, what what would you have told your younger self to have saved yourself some time? Okay. It's. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that uh, that is hard to see sometimes as lovers of technology are things like. How do you, how is this going to scale? What's the total, the TAM, the addressable market? And thinking about those aspects of, and the business model, right? And so anybody that's a very technical founder needs to get on and catch those things much faster. So for, uh, for us as a team and even me, I think looking at that, it was, it took a while to understand and fast forward and say, how much can this scale? How fast? What kind of resources would this take? Uh, can we, so going through that, I mean, today I think I have a much better understanding and I can catch on to yeah. that much faster, but the younger self, I did not. Got so, it. Yeah. So, so, so for, for those listening, you know, what, what's, what's very hard is, is the distinction. If, um, if I make a, a product and I'm, I'm going to build a product and say it's a blue dress, and I go 
ask people, what do you think to this blue dress? And, and five people say, I love the blue dress. I don't know how big the market is. Um, it's kind of that product market fit. You know, do, will lots of people buy my blue dress? And the reverse is true. If I go ask a customer and they say, oh, this is the perfect thing. I want this dress. And it's got, uh, you know, it's red with white polka dots and it's got a pink ribbon and they absolutely love it. You go to the other side and say, how many people will really want that dress? And it, it, they may pay a lot of money for that weird dress, but not many, the market's not very big. So that understanding that dynamics is really important. Is that also, yeah, I think another aspect is, you know, front loading your customer discovery. You need to, to have enough conversations. I would say at least a hundred plus, if you're a B2B founder, to have conviction that this is a large enough market and an immediate problem. And exactly how are you going to solve it? How are you going to price it? And have this group that you could go to at any point and say, does, does, is the product making sense? Is the pricing right for you as you're scaling right. this thing, right? And that, uh, when you invest the time upfront in doing that, the rest can be figured out. Like you can, you'll be trading the product in the most efficient way. Uh, you'll be adjusting pricing in the right ways, et cetera. But when you delay that customer discovery, which we had done in the past, I think that creates a lot of complications. Yep. Yeah, there's a good book uh, for anybody listening, Talking to Humans. It's an excellent book for how to get out and do customer discovery. Uh, so wonderful to have you today. I really welcome you to the next, uh, you know, the Savvy Founder Elite, meaning you're willing to be a founder that's willing to share your ideas, your journey with other founders so they too can shorten your journey. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Phil. I really enjoyed being here and uh, I'll be happy to take any um, questions and additional discussions that come up as well. Yeah, we'll put your contact information in the, in the show notes so people can get in contact with you as well as your, uh, your website. You want to just give a shout out to your website? Yeah, yeah. So we are uh, at shoppingpal.com. That's shopping without the G. S-H-O-P-P-I-N-P-A-L.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please share it with another founder so they too can shorten their journey. Please give a five-star review. Thank you very much. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your business and personal life. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.